Glad you're with us here on this Christmas Eve evening, and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you're new with us, we're glad you're here with us. If you have your Bibles and brought your Bibles, and we hope you have, please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 55, verse 6. Isaiah 55, verse 6. And as you're making your way there, I need to ask, is everybody done with their Christmas shopping? All right, who's brave? Who wants to admit this evening that they are not done? Okay. Okay. It's good to know that we're honest in church, isn't it? Well, you still have time. I heard Walgreens is going to stay open late. Again, we hope you're in your Bibles to Isaiah 55, verse 6. Every single year we end the year remembering an event that took place over 2,000 years ago. An event that was so significant that the, the history and the time that has passed has been unable to erase it from the memory of man. Something so extraordinary happened 2,000 years ago that would cause the world today to take a moment of pause, to reflect on a reality that 2,000 years ago an infant was born in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem, and that individual ever since he arrived, only living for 33 years before dying, and then extraordinarily rising on the third day. It is Him that we remember on this day. It is His birth that we remember on this day. For Christmas poses an invitation and an extraordinary opportunity for each and every person. And though it is the day that we take to set aside and remember the birth of Jesus Christ, often we forget about the opportunity Often we forget about the invitation. It is this opportunity and invitation that we seek to remind you of this evening as we gather here tonight. Every Christmas season, people love to take advantage of opportunities. It starts the day after Thanksgiving, a day that we have affectionately called Black Friday. Now, anywhere else in the world, if they would not know the American culture and what we do and how we do things, they would think that that is a pretty bad day. We have one of the greatest shopping uh, days of the year labeled Black Friday, and all people around the world can think of is the Black Plague. I personally think it's one and the same. I don't know who would go out on Black Friday. I don't know. If you are here today and you have gone out to Black Friday, we will pray for you (laughs) earnestly. And now you can't even finish your turkey dinner. You're scarfing it down, hoping that you're going to be the first one in line at Best Buy Because the first four people are going to get a free iPad. And that's for the whole entire nation. And yet we hold out hope. We try to take advantage of that opportunity. 
And we make our way to the sea of despair, the people that are enclosing in upon the Best Buy in hopes that we would be one of the four in the nationwide that would get the golden ticket. We love to take opportunities. And yet the greatest opportunity and invitation that was ever offered to man is often missed year after year after year after year. And we're reminded of it. From the time Thanksgiving ends till the time Christmas arrives, we remember it and we are reminded of it. Every church that we pass, every nativity scene that we observe, every house that is lit, we're reminded that something significant is going to occur at the end of the month. A day that we have set apart that we have set aside to remember the birth of an extraordinary individual. One that has yet to be paralleled in significance in our world. And yet he never traveled more than 33 to 100 miles away from his home. Do you know that at 33 years old, I should say, he died. He was only here with us for a short period of time. And yet, our entire calendar is based upon his birth and death. I don't know about you, but that is extraordinary. It's extraordinary that so many in so many different places around the world would take a moment to remember this day and to consider the one who was birthed on this day. And in that birth, there is the echo of an invitation that we find in our text this evening. For I would like to take you back 700 years earlier than the birth of Jesus Christ. I want to take you back to the book of Isaiah. And throughout the book of Isaiah is woven prophecy after prophecy of announcement, heralding in one who is yet still to come. Famous words that all of us here are familiar with, and let me remind you of them this evening. In Isaiah 9, 6, we read, For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 53, we are reminded of how his life came to an end, and how his life was received, and I'll read these words to you and for you. In Isaiah 53, 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one whom has uh, men hid their faces and was despised, and he was esteemed not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. 
And all we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Words that echo to this day. The reverberation of these words continue to this day because they were fulfilled in the person and the arrival of Jesus Christ. This child, born in a stable, carried within a manger, is the prince of princes, the one in whom all governments shall be placed upon his shoulder. And in the midst of all of these prophecies, is an invitation that often gets lost. It is this invitation that I'd like us to rediscover this evening. It is this invitation that should uh, come to our mind each and every Christmas as we remember this day. Let us read together in Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will have abundantly pardon him. Father, we come before you right now. And we ask that you would speak to us through your word. For this is your word, Lord. And as we remember this day, And we remember that moment that is etched in time for eternity. Let us never forget that within this moment, an invitation was proclaimed and offered to all. Let us seek, let us call upon the Lord while He can be found and while He is near. This invitation that we read of here in Isaiah 55 continues to this day. Each and every day that this invitation is heard and responded to, it is once again proven to show us that God is a God who radically changes people's lives. It is an invitation that is offered not on the basis of the merit of man, but on the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. It has been said that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. It is that time of the year that the whole world pauses in remembrance of a birth that took place 2,000 years ago. A birth of royalty that was not found in a palace, but found within a manger. And not one that was known for extreme wealth, but he had little or nothing his entire life, and yet his life impacted the world like no other. He was not warmly received with grand pomp and circumstance. And at the end of, their li- end of his life, there was not a grand coronation, but a complete and utter rejection. Not one who radically changed the world in his lifetime but one who has been radically changing lives ever since. That changed life began with the one whom will seek Him and call upon Him. That's when your life will begin to change. It is when you turn to seek God and to call upon Him. 
During his life, the invitation continued for Isaiah was predicting this moment when Jesus would come and God would even be nearer and more easily found than ever. And as we read these words again, and they cannot be repeated too often, as Isaiah said, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Today this invitation continues and is offered to each and every person here today. And if you will turn and if you will seek him and call upon him, your life may be radically changed also. It is an opportunity. It is an invitation that you do not want to pass up. We begin in verse 6 if you'd like to look there with me. And the invitation begins with this word, seek. It is an invitation that we can trace through the entire Bible from beginning to end. Constantly, God is asking people to seek after Him. Constantly asking individuals to turn to Him and to seek Him and to call upon Him. And the Bible clearly demonstrates that it's God's heart and desire that we would do so. Now many have told me over the years that they are on a lifelong journey seeking God. Not convinced that God can be found before the moment that they die. In fact, it was after one of our Christmas services that someone took me to task in our lobby Believing that finding God, seeking God was a lifelong journey and that he could not be certain until he died. I said that's true. When you die, you're going to be certain. But then it's going to be too late. For there's a moment, there's a window of opportunity. And they are found in those words, while he is near and while he may be found. See, often when people tell me that they are on this journey, this lifelong journey, seeking God, I discover that what they are truly seeking is not God at all. But it's their understanding of God. They want to find a God that suits them. They want to find a God that is tailored to their particular wants. As one wrote it, he said this, There is a God we want, and there is a God who is, and they are not the same God. The turning point comes when we stop seeking the God we want and start seeking the God who is. We have to understand that we were made in His image, not vice versa. And we are not to take a lifetime to seek God, for it is not Him who is lost. It is we who are lost. It is us who have gone astray. God is right where He always has been. So when people make that statement, when they make that claim, they are often saying that we don't want the God of the Bible. We want a God that suits our needs. But Paul said, 
He said, for in a favorable time, I listened to you, speaking and quoting of the Old Testament, speaking on God as God would. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It appears that those who are truly seeking are seeking from an inward draw within their own heart. And that inward draw is not from themselves. It is God who is drawing them. You may not know why you are here today. You may think that you are just simply uh, you know, appeasing one of your Christian friends. They invited me to Christmas service. I was a little light on funds this year, so I'm going to go to church with them, and that's going to be my present to them. I'm going to bless them with my presence. Now, you may think that for a moment, but I'm going to tell you something right now. God's got a much bigger picture in mind. See, God's looking at the scenario completely differently. You may think you're doing your friend a favor by being here today, but in actuality, this is your appointment with God. God has been setting everything up. In fact, it may have been even God who held the funds back so you would be here this evening. Because you're not seeking Him, He's seeking you. It's a longing in the heart that cannot be described. It's a drawing that cannot be articulated other than to say that there needs to be something more, the heart says. It's the understanding that there is something radically wrong with ourselves. And we feel the weight of guilt and conviction because we, are, we know that we are not right with God. And yet we still feel this draw. I've heard people say it. I've heard people tell us that when we moved into this building, when we put the sign out in front, people started saying, you know what? I really need to get back to church. I really need to get back with God. Well, first of all, let me tell you, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian and neither does standing in a garage make you a car. It's a change of the heart. It's a radical change of the heart. It is when you allow that drawing of God to have its full effect and then you discover the grace of God, you discover the mercy of God, you discover the overwhelming love of God that was demonstrated by Him sending His only Son to die in your place. Knowing that He did not die for His wrongdoing, knowing that he did not die for anything or any crime that he committed, but he died for you. And the sins that you carry, the sins that separate you from God, the sins that will not allow you to interact with your Creator, what you could not do for yourself, God has done for you, and that is the greatest gift that anyone can ever receive. Christmas is not about presents. It's about His presence. 2,000 years later, we're still celebrating Christmas. And we've tried everything we can possibly do to sterilize our society from God. He's still here. And He's not going anywhere. And so as He draws people and calls people unto unto Himself... 
For the one that turns to seek him also calls on him, inquires of him, asking of him to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. This invitation continues to this day. This is your appointment with God. And I'm glad you're here to hear what he has to say. In the beginning of chapter 55, if you look back, you'll discover that God is appealing to the nation of Israel and their dissatisfaction, for they had wandered away from God. They had moved away from their God. And they were trying to satisfy themselves with everything else. And God says that nothing in this world is going to satisfy you like I can satisfy you. So he said, come to me and you will find rest for your soul. When Jesus came, he met a woman next to a well who is in desperate need, who tried to uh, take her life and to live her life and to find satisfaction in her life through relationships. And only to discover that after several attempts at bad relationships, she was still unsatisfied in the deepest part of of her inner being. The relationship that she so desired wasn't a relationship with a man. That's what she thought it should be. But it was with her God. And God had an appointment with her in John chapter 4, next to the well. And as Jesus spoke with this woman, who came to the well at an odd hour because the town despised her for her her looseness and allowing herself to be uh, taken from one relationship to another. She was despised by her own people, but Jesus met her there and told her that if you keep pulling from this well, you're going to thirst again, but I can give you living waters and you'll never thirst again. This dissatisfaction is what God is playing upon. You may have that same dissatisfaction in your own life. And you may have tried to fill it with all this world has to offer. Money, materialism, relationships. Thinking that it was going to satisfy you, but it will never satisfy you. Because the longing that you are experiencing is the void created because of the separation from you and God. And what separates you from you and your God is sin. You can try all you want and you'll never be satisfied. And God says, come to me. Seek me. Turn to me. Call upon me. And he'll satisfy the deepest aspect of your soul. He's not going to necessarily give you everything that you want, but he'll provide everything that you need. And this is the invitation. But with this invitation, there was a response that was required. Verse 7. For let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. God said that if you will turn to me, this is what you can expect. Compassion and a pardoning. 
But understand what stands in the way, and that is sin. Sin is the great divide. None of us want to believe that we are sinners. None of us want to carry the burden and the weight of that reality with us each and every day. But it is a reality. It is a reality that we are reminded of each and every Christmas. Why did Jesus have to come? Why did God have to be born in a manger? Why did God have to live the life that He lived? Why did Jesus say the things that He said and did the things that He has done? Why? Why did He need to go to the cross? And what did it mean and how did He arise on the third day? God paid a sacrifice, an offering, a debt that you could not pay. He paid Himself. He saw your fallen condition. He saw that sin separated you from Him. And He knew that there was nothing that you could do to get back to Him. It was a hopeless scenario. But I'll tell you something about God that I have realized over the last 28 years. Our God loves hopeless scenarios. Because He is the only one that can bring hope into a hopeless scenario. And in that manger, hope was born. In that manger, grace was manifested. In that manger, love was shown. In that manger, glory shined. For God made good on the promise that He made to His creation that He Himself was going to come and pay the debt that we could not pay for ourselves. But we must understand that it was us that the debt was paid for, not for Himself. For we are the wicked, the ones who purposely transgress against what God would have us to do. It is us whose hearts are desperately wicked who can know them. It is us who is unrighteous before a holy God. It is us that is in such grave need of salvation, a salvation that we could never, ever manifest, produce, or, 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 or create in and of ourselves. It is us and we must identify ourselves with the wickedness there with the unrighteousness listed. And if we are to truly see God, those things must be forsaken. As one pastor said, seeking without forsaking will never result in finding. Let me say that again. Seeking without forsaking will never result in finding. That is the reality And though we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ on Christmas, we know that few months from now, Easter will take place where we remember the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We must understand that it is us who have sinned against the holy God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I am no better than you. I am a sinner in need of a Savior just like you. I like to put it this way, I'm just, one, I'm just a beggar showing another beggar where to find some food. 
But the reality is, is that Christ came to do what I could not do for myself. And if I will return to the Lord, if I will discontinue my efforts to run away from Him and turn to Him, I can be guaranteed that a pardon would be given and compassion would be shown. But we must identify ourselves with the one who is in need of a Savior. I continuously get calls each and every day, even though I'm on the government do not call list. That's working well. And it's ironic because every single day almost, and I am not exaggerating, I get a call for an in-ground swimming pool. I get a, a call for aluminum siding, and you're saying, well, those are things you may need. I live in a condo on the second floor. They didn't do their research too well before making that cold call. And because I have no need of what is being offered... I have no interest in receiving or accepting it. It isn't until we understand our need for a Savior that we will then begin to become interested in seeking God. No one likes to know the reality of their sinful nature. We love to compare ourselves to people that we have deemed worse than ourselves. I love when people tell me, Yeah, I might be wrong in some areas, but I'm not as bad as Hitler. I'm not as bad as a serial killer. And I'm like, I'm glad to know that. But in God's standard, His standard is perfection. He says, how do you compare to my son? How do you compare to Jesus? Well, I don't look so good. No, you don't. Neither do I. And that's why I need Him. Because I don't look good. But if I will turn to Him, if I will return to the Lord, that He may have compassion on Him, on me, and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. Before becoming a Christian, I spent my time in front of judges. And no one ever pardoned me for anything that I ever did wrong. Now, please, don't worry. It wasn't anything gruesome. It was all little petty things. And they always had the wrong guy. (laughs) But I could only imagine standing there, as guilty as I was, and I was guilty, for often you would find my motorcycle next to every Domino's pizza truck in the traffic court. And I knew I was guilty before the judge and all I could do was confess my guilt, pay my fine, etc. But when it came to my moral standings, when it came to my standings before God, there was nothing that I could do. There was no fine I could pay. There was no prison term I could do. Nothing would be significant or aggressive enough to eliminate my moral failures before a holy God. I was hopeless before the judge. I was hopeless before God. And that's when there was one who I turned to and threw myself at His mercy, the Son. It was the Son then that stepped between myself and the judge and said, my life has washed him 
of the sins that he has committed, Father. It is my blood that has been shed to alleviate him. And though his sins were as scarlet, now they are as white as snow. And you know what the Father said? He is forgiven. He is forgiven. And what I could not do for myself, God did for me. Not because of anything on my own merit, but because the grace of God is so extraordinary. You may ask yourself, how could God ever come to such a remedy? How could God show compassion and pardon an individual? How could God relieve me of the sin that I have committed before Him? Read with me in verses 8 and 9. And we discover quickly, for my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I had no idea how God was going to do it. But He did it. Because His ways and His thoughts were so much greater than mine He came up with a solution. He came up with a way that not only satisfied the debt that I had created because of my sin, but also satisfied His righteous requirements. Because the moment you come to Jesus Christ, the moment you repent and place your faith and trust in Him, is the moment that not only are your sins washed away, but it's at that moment that the righteousness of Christ is applied to you. See, if it was simply a matter of washing away our sin, then we would come to a zero gain. We would be in a position of neutrality before God. But just as there are sins of commission, things that we do wrong, there are also sins of omission, things that we don't do that God has told us to do. And because of those failures, we needed Christ's righteousness. We needed Him to satisfy not only the debt that we had created, but the righteous standard that God had set. That's what Christ has done for us. Why? Because God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And all I can say to that is amen. What I could not do for myself, God has done for me. The Bible then clearly tells us what will happen for one who turns to seek Him and to call upon Him. He will lead us into eternal life. He will lead us into forgiveness. He will lead us into blessing. He will lead us into provision. He will lead us into protection. He will lead us to understanding and wisdom. He will lead us to renewed strength. And He will lead us to rejoicing. That's what God will do for us if we will seek Him and call upon Him. Trusting Him for our salvation. Just crying out to God, God, forgive me. I cannot pay the debt that I have before you. I come to Jesus to satisfy that debt. There are two very key components that will keep us from seeking God that we are warned about within the Bible. One of those is unrighteousness. When we choose to live in rebellion against God purposely 
Even after God has revealed Himself to us, and we choose to suppress that knowledge in our unrighteousness, we continue to live for ourselves, we continue to openly rebel in sin against God, even though God has made Himself apparent to us. Listen to the words of Isaiah in 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that He cannot save, or His ear dull, that He cannot hear. But your iniquities, your sin, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not hear. But there's also the issue of pride. For the psalmist wrote concerning pride keeping us from God. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Unrighteousness and pride will keep you from all that God would have for you. This is your appointment with God. We are offering you the greatest Christmas gift that we ever could. And as we have freely received it, so we are freely offering it unto you. It is called the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is called the good news. And each and every Christmas we are reminded of this. We are reminded of this fact. And as years go by, and as Christmases pass, the reality that lies behind it continues. That there was this individual born that we must do something with. Either we will receive him or we will reject him. Either we will come to Him or we will walk away from Him. For Jesus said, either you are for me or you are against me. But God is in the business of radically changing lives. I don't care what you've gotten yourself into. I don't care what bondages you struggle with. I don't care how bad you've blown it. God is in the business of restoring things radically. That's what God does. And God takes these things that the world has completely discarded. And that's what happens. As people pursue the things of this world and they continue to wander away from God, thinking that they would find pleasure, thinking that they would find fulfillment, thinking that they would find satisfaction, at the end of it all, the world has simply chewed them up and spit them out. And often they think, how could I ever come and seek God now? I have blown it too badly. I just echo what Jesus has said. Come. Come. Come to Him. Turn to Him. Seek Him. Call upon Him. The invitation continues this Christmas day. Come. But seek him now while he may be found and while he is near. You have one life on this earth. And the decisions that you make in this one life will change the course and the directions of your life forever. How many of you here today, and no hands needed to be shown, 
have made a decision in your life that you regret this day. And you may have even known that it was the wrong thing to do and yet you still did it and you are still suffering the consequences of it. You have discovered how important a decision is. Today the greatest invitation lies before you. The greatest truth lies before you. The greatest message lies before you. And God has brought you here to hear it. What will you do with it? You may have a boatload of questions. You may understand and relate and maybe identify with some of the things that we have said today. God has brought you here to hear this fact that Christmas is all about Him. Regardless of what our world does with this hallmark holiday that we have created and commercialized, the reality is that for Christians around the world, it is this day that we have set apart to remember one of the greatest truths of all history, and that is our Lord and Savior, our King, was born this day. Not in a palace, but in a manger. Not in pomp and circumstance, but in humility. Not in fame and fortune, but in obscurity and poverty. Not one that has drawn attention unto himself other than to glorify his Father in heaven. It is him that we herald. It is him that we, that we speak of. It is him that is radically changing lives. And it is him that we offer to you today. And it is free of charge. And though salvation is free to all, Following Him will cost you the rest of your life. But you can leave here today a new creation in Jesus Christ. A brand new person in the sight of God. By coming to Christ and repenting and placing your faith and trust in Him, I don't care if you've been religious all of your life. If you don't know Jesus, religion doesn't matter at all. I don't care if you've gone to church intermediately over the last 10, 20, 30 years of your life. If you don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter at all. I don't care if you've given money. I don't care if you've served somewhere. I don't care. It's all about Jesus. Do you know Him? Do you love Him? Do you have a passion for Him? Has He begun to radically transform your life That is the invitation that we offer you today. And I will tell you that you can leave this small, humble place this evening a new person in Jesus Christ. If you are here today and the gospel of Jesus Christ has radically changed your life, I want you to raise your hand right now. Look at this. It's not just my word. All of these individuals who have raised their hand have had the exact same experience when they've surrendered to Christ. And allowed him to take them where they're at with all their faults, all their failures, thinking that there is no way that a God who is holy and just and righteous could ever love them. But through Christ he can. And that's what he gave us this day. That's what he wrapped, not with paper and bows, but with a swaddling cloth. That's what he gave us this day. The chance to come back to him. 
I like what one wrote here, and I'll close with these words. To seek the Lord is to stop dawdling and to become intentional about Him, setting the highest value on Him, removing everything that keeps us from Him, hearing His Word without backtalk, opening up His will with no preconditions. Seeking the Lord is a whole life realignment with Christ. We stop treating Him as a religious garnish on the side of our plate. He becomes our continual feast, our defining center. And the time to move in His direction is now. For as Paul wrote very clearly, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That's Christmas. Seek Him now while He may be found. Seek Him now while He may be near.